0: Then Jesus arrived at Bethany. He was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed at the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. <clears throat> yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in In me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, The teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus's grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him, he asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying?
1: This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, pour out your Spirit upon this, your Word, and make it be for us the Word of life, that we might be people of life. Now, God, hide me behind your cross, that your message of love and grace might shine through for the redemption of the world through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. 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 You may be seated. This is not something that a preacher should probably say about the Bible, but I have had a love-hate relationship with the Bible throughout my life. (laughs) And let me me explain that just a bit. When I was a a very young boy in our Methodist church, we had a competition, and it was a competition of knowing and learning Bible facts. It It was called Bible Boys and Gospel Girls. You may, you may have even remembered uh, there was a television show on a local TV station, uh, I believe it was, I think it was based possibly out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, but I know that it was also uh, aired here in Oklahoma City, and there was competition, uh, it was a competition between uh, children's groups and youth groups about Bible facts, and so um, we had that competition at, at, at our church, and uh, there was a, the man who, uh, who, who led that program on television, he came to our small United Methodist Church. And so we, as a church, we really got into teaching the children of, of our church the facts of the Bible. Well, um, I was always, I always seemed to be one of the youngest, uh, wherever I was, I was the youngest in my family, and I seemed to be the youngest in the, uh, in the children's ministry and the youth group. And so I really struggled memorizing the facts of the Bible. I struggled remembering. Um, I remember uh, it took so long uh, to memorize the books of the Old Testament. Uh, even today, sometimes I, you know, I get to about judges, and oh gosh, I start losing my way. I, I can make my way to uh, to Job, and then gosh, the minor prophets get involved, and I I, I lose my way just a little bit. Fortunately, there's a song uh, that helped me uh, learn the books of the New Testament, and so I've got those. I've got those right on the right on the tip of my tongue. Uh, I struggled sometimes in learning uh, the names of the twelve disciples. I struggled in in all of those of the Bible. Uh, I even have struggled over the years of memorizing scripture. I have a, I have a, a dear friend uh, who is, he's, he's incredible about memorizing scripture. He started it years and years and years ago when he was a teenager. He started memorizing large chunks of scripture. I've struggled with that. And so one of our scriptures today is my favorite verse in all of the Bible. Those of you who are laughing, you know which one it is. Jesus wept. I was able, I was able to memorize that one as a young boy. I, I love that verse of Scripture because it's the shortest verse in all of the Bible. But I think there is something deeply, deeply meaningful in those two words. Jesus wept. Today we're continuing our sermon series Uh, The title of the series is Through the Valley, meaning that um, God is with us in the valley of the shadow of death. And as we understand what it means to walk through that valley of the shadow of death, most, if not all of us, have recognized that God's hand is with us. God's healing presence is is with us as we as we walk through those valleys in our lives, the valley of the of the shadow of death. And so, last week we we examined how we can be better prepared uh, for our own death. We we must. I mean, it, it comes Ash Wednesday comes around every single year, and whether you want to be reminded of it or not, on Ash Wednesday you are reminded that you are that you are mortal, to you are you, you've come from dust, and to dust you shall return. Every every Ash Wednesday is is deeply deeply meaningful to me over the last twenty three years of presiding over Ash Wednesday services almost every single year, someone that I spread ashes on their forehead between then and the next Ash Wednesday, someone that I've done that to has died. And it's a reminder that it could be our day, any one of us. And we all must come to terms with our own mortality. We looked at some practical pieces of advice last week as well, dealing with things like uh, living wills or advanced directives, even our, our uh, estate planning, uh, and then also planning out our own funeral. Uh, there's those, um, those handouts that we had last. Sunday are still out in the narthex. And so if you would like to pick one of those up, I've already, I've already been contacted by some of you and others who are joining online and told me how, how appreciative those, they, they were of those things. I've, I've been contacted by some former congregants who, um, I, I preached a similar sermon series over the years, uh, and I've had congregants who have already contacted me and, and told me they know exactly where their funeral planning sheet is, their children know where it is their nieces and nephews know where it is, and so they will be able to, uh, to have an appropriate funeral when that, time, when that time comes. And so today, we are not looking at our own mortality, but we are looking at the death, how, how, we, can, how we can approach the death of our loved ones. How do we do that? We're going to look at the grieving and the mourning process today. We're going to look at maybe even some practical kinds of things that we can help our children and grandchildren come to terms uh, with, with the big life issues of, of death and dying. And that's something that we don't deal with much uh, in, with our children anymore. And so we're going to look at some of those kinds of things today. But first, we have this passage of Scripture that Jesus... Wept. It's a fascinating, fascinating story here. Jesus is um, in uh, very close to Jericho. Um, in chapter 10, it ends that Jesus and his disciples are there where John had been baptizing in the Jordan River. It was about a 15 miles from Jerusalem. They were on the Jordan River, um, again, around the city of Jericho or so. Uh, and he They received word, Jesus received word that his dear friend Lazarus had died. Mary and Martha and Lazarus, their house was in a small town called Bethany. It's on the east side of the Mount of Olives, just about a mile outside of Jerusalem, the old city of Jerusalem. If you've been there, uh, you, you know that it is, I mean, really, Bethany now is really inside Jerusalem. Jerusalem really is a sprawling city anymore, but Bethany was on the east side of the Mount of Olives, uh, uh, and, and so... Uh, That's where their house was. They sent word to Jesus that his dear friend Lazarus had died. Mary and Martha and Lazarus show up a couple of times in the Gospels. Uh, You may recall the story about Jesus visiting their home and one of the sisters was busying herself, uh, taking care of all of the preparations when the other sister was sitting at Jesus' feet and learning. It was Mary who was sitting at Jesus' feet and learning. Later on in the Gospel of John, Mary also shows up some by the way have um, have kind of mashed together a bunch of stories. There are a bunch of Marys in the New Testament or the gospel narratives, and they have mashed together this Mary of Bethany with Mary Magdalene. These are two separate Marys, by the way, and so most scholars do not believe that Mary of Bethany was the same Mary Magdalene who had been a prostitute. No, this was Mary of Bethany. But we also find in chapter 12 of John's gospel, we have Mary of Bethany kneeling down before Jesus and anointing his feet with expensive perfume, crying over him and then drying drying that perfume off of his feet with with her hair. And so we have Mary and Martha and Lazarus showing up. Again, it appears as though that, that their house was really the center of Jesus' ministry when he was ministering in Jerusalem. The last week of his life, many experts believe it was at Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house that Jesus would go to every evening during the last week of his life. After Palm Sunday, Jesus came every day that week and he would come and preach in the temple and he would then go outside of the city. And again, many scholars uh, believe that he was staying at the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And so this family was a, a very, very important family in Jesus' life. And so it would have been shocking for the disciples to, to hear word that, that, their, that his good friend Lazarus was sick. Well, he waited around a couple of more days. You would have thought this one who had already performed multiple miracles, this one who had, who had already healed Hundreds and hundreds of people, by this time in John's gospel, people had, were flocking to Jesus because they had heard of all of the miracles that he had been performing. It would have been shocking. It would have been absolutely shocking that Jesus would not have immediately made his way to Lazarus' house. We have, we have this, I think it's a, a unique conversation in the first half of, the, of chapter 11... And the disciples ask what's going on, and Jesus said, Well, he's fallen asleep. And they said, Well, if he's fallen asleep, well, then we'll just go wake him up. Well, Jesus was actually saying, No, he has died. Jesus knew. Jesus knew that Lazarus was going to die. And sure enough, they finally make their way. After a couple of days, they make the one day journey, about a 15 mile walk from. Where they were around the Jordan River, somewhere around the old city of Jericho, and they made that fifteen or sixteen mile journey over to Bethany. And when they got there, uh, when when they got there, one of the sisters recognized him and found him, and 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 again said, "Jesus, if you would have been here, if you if if you would have been here, your brother Lazarus would not have died." and Jesus said oh oh he's going to be resurrected oh oh we know that he's going to be resurrected in the last day when everyone else is resurrected and then we have that astounding statement i am the resurrection and the life i am the resurrection and the life. Whoever l- believes in me, though they die, yet shall they live, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And here. Here, Martha was the very first one in John's gospel to proclaim that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. I mean, think about it. This was a a rabbi, a a special man, a, a special prophet. But Martha was saying, oh, this is more than just a special man. This was more than just a special prophet. This was more than just a healer. This was the Son of God. Now that was a statement. That was an astounding statement. Mary heard that he was there, rushed out. To meet him. Again, Mary was the one that said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus saw everyone weeping. And Jesus wept. Some have asked. Some have questioned why Jesus wept. Some have suggested that Jesus was frustrated with their lack of belief. He was frustrated because they didn't believe that he could do the things that, that he knew that he could do. Their lack of faith was a frustration for him. And he was so frustrated that he cried. But I'll tell you, that's not, that's not my experience of Jesus in the Gospels. No, my experience of Jesus in the Gospels is when, is when he feels emotions, he shows those emotions. And so I don't think that he was weeping for Lazarus. I think he was weeping for his friends. Have you ever? Have you ever? um, I don't know if you are a contact crier or not. Uh, If you see someone cry, that you cry as well. Now I'll be the very. In fact, Amy will be the very first one to tell you that I am not a crier. I I wish I wish that I was a crier. Um, I, I will say over the last four or five years, as I've, as, I've gotten, as I've gotten to middle age, or some might even say I'm a little bit past middle age, um, but as, as I've gotten to middle age, I've, I've found myself that tears come a little bit more easily than, than they used to. Amy is a contact crier. When she sees someone crying, oh, she's going to cry. She's going to cry as well. I, th- I, think, I think we kind of understand that. When we see someone hurting we have we have empathy and we, we hurt with them and we hurt for them and I, I think that's part I think that's part of what is going on. And so Jesus comes to the tomb and he says roll the roll the stone in front of the tomb away. Oh Lord, you don't want to do that. He has been in, he has been in the grave for 4 days. There will I, I we promise you you don't want to do that. And he had them roll the stone out from Away from the seal of the tomb. And he called out in a loud voice. Lazarus come forth. There was an old country preacher that one time said. It's a good thing he said Lazarus come forth. Had he not said Lazarus come forth. The whole cemetery would have been full of resurrected people. Lazarus come forth and here he comes. In his tomb clothes. And it was at that moment, it was at that moment that the religious leaders sought to kill him. They sought to kill him because they recognized that Jesus could even overcome death itself. And, dear sisters and brothers, that's this very central understanding of our faith the resurrection the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that Christ defeated even death itself. So no matter what is in our way, no matter what mountain, look, it, there looks like there's a mountain in front of us, it will be removed because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I've said it a hundred times since I've been here. The resurrection teaches us that the worst day is never the last day because resurrection is coming. No matter what happens, it's never the last day. It's never the last day because resurrection is coming. Uh, Mourning and grief are typically used interchangeably. Typically used interchangeably. But over the years, I have found that mourning and grief are different grief is the internal process of saying goodbye. And there's a lot of emotions and a lot of things that go on in the process of grief. Mourning is the external process of grieving. And so mourning will often come out in by way of tears, by, by way of uh, of uh, of all kinds of actions, and sometimes even some inappropriate action sometimes comes out whenever w- in in the process of mourning. But it really comes from the internal process of grieving. Out on the welcome, or out in the out in the Northex, there is a uh, there is a um, a sheet that is stages of grief, stages of grief, and, and um, in in 19- nineteen. 61. There was a book that came out. It was simply called De- "On Death and Dying," and it, it came. It, excuse me, 1969. And the author of that book was a Swiss American psychiatrist, and um, he developed a, um, a developed a process of grieving, and said that there are a number of a number of stages that you go through in the process of grieving, and I have found this to be helpful. Uh, l- let me tell you that uh, this is not a clean process. In the beginning, after this came out, people thought that you would just go from one one step to the next step to the next step to the next step. But I've found that it's a much more complex than that, and we'll see that here in just here in just a few a few minutes. There are some things there are some things that are helpful uh, for people to say, and there are other things that are not helpful for people to say. A few years ago, I, uh, I've mentioned Joe Heiberger. He was the a director of a funeral home in Enid, Oklahoma. And Joe and I got to be good friends. Again, it's, um, it's always a blessing and a curse to be good friends with a funeral home director. The blessing is that I learned so much from Joe. Uh, but the curse was that whenever they had a family that did not have a pastor, Joe would call me. Uh, and so I did a lot of funerals, a lot of funerals for families that did not have a church home. And so Joe shared with me some things that he, um, that he said, try not, try not to say these kinds of things. Um, try not to say, don't cry. Um, or or um, try not to apologize for tears. I would encourage you not to apologize for tears. I know sometimes we're, we, we get to be a little bit self-conscious whenever we're in the process of grieving and, and we're mourning and tears come. Um, and um, there are times, and I have even f- seen folks, that it's decades decades after a loved one who have died and tears just come out of nowhere. Don't apologize for tears. But I would also tell you, especially with children especially with children never tell them don't cry there are some people who, who cry easily others of us do not cry as easily i, I wish i wish that i would that I, I wish that i could cry more i don't know that i would wish that i could cry as much as my wife uh, but uh, i wish i wish that i that i wish that i could cry i wish that i could cry some don't ever don't ever say don't cry also also don't ever tell someone I know exactly how you feel. I can't tell you how many times I, I've seen that at a, at a funeral home where the death of a loved one and a family, is, a family is mourning deeply and someone will come alongside them and slap them on the back and say, oh gosh, I know exactly how you feel. My great-great-uncle, uh, uh, great three times removed, he died about 27 years ago. And oh, I know exactly how you feel. Absolutely, absolutely, we do not know how others feel. We don't know how other people feel. We may have similar experiences, and we can say things like that. Um, you know, I, I went through something similar, uh, and, um, you know, these are some of the things that I was experiencing. But more than anything, instead of saying, I know exactly how you feel, just simply say, I am so sorry. I am I'm, I'm so sorry. That's what people need to hear. They don't need to hear your advice. They don't need to hear you be able to expound on the on 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 all of your experiences. They need to know that your heart breaks for them. Also, don't tell children, you know, he's just asleep. Granddad's asleep i've seen i 've seen families do that with children and tell children that that he 's just asleep. What happens though is that the child knows that granddad is not just asleep. The child knows that granddad has died, and so when the child tries to go to sleep they 're not going to be able to get to sleep if you tell them that granddad is just asleep because they know one of the things that we've we 've made um, Amy and I have made. I know plenty of mistakes as parents, but one of the things that we were very intentional about, and I think that it was good that we did, is we tried to teach our children uh, about life and death, issues of life and death. You know, in today's culture, it's very difficult to teach children issues of life and death. Maybe they have a pet, maybe, maybe once in their lifetime, or at least in the childhood, they may have a pet that dies. Um, We were very intentional about bringing our children uh, to funerals when they were young and also, uh, also taking them to funeral homes when they were young as well. I did not want my children... Uh, to go to their grandparents' funeral and it was the very first funeral that they had ever been to or that when their grandparent died it was, or great-grandparent died, it was the very first time they had ever been in a funeral home. I did not want them to be a 25-year-old young adult and never, never had been to a funeral home. And so in our, especially in our early churches, they, they got to know those folks in that church they got to know Leo and Anna Jordan. They got to know Jim Hebert. They got uh, they 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 got to know Luella Stallman. They got to know all of these great people in our lives, Beth Snyder, and and so many others. They got to know these folks, and so when uh, when a, when someone in our church would die, especially if if our children knew them fairly well, we would we would take them to the funeral home. And I remember, I remember our children were quite young and. An elderly gentleman in our church, Leo had died, and and uh, the funeral home director brought our kids back, and and we viewed the body, and and Glenn Billings, he 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 had them touch the side of the casket and said, you know, feel 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 here, feel how cold that is. When I'll feel Leo's hand, feel how cold that is, because Leo's not here. This is just his body. Leo's at, at in at home in heaven. He's not here he's in heaven with Jesus. Our kids understood that and, and they, they grew up within a, with a healthy understanding of, of death and dying. And they recognized, they recognized that death is not the end. Death is just the beginning. And so I would encourage you to, to talk with your children and grandchildren. And, and again, parents, I, I would strongly encourage you, uh, to somehow find a way to teach your children about death and dying, because it's very difficult to find ways to do that, uh, to find uh, find to do that anymore. Here's here's what I would encourage you to say: that he has died, and he's with Jesus in heaven, and one day you're going to get to see him again. That's just that's simply what you need to tell children. They understand that, they understand, and they believe in heaven way more easily and more readily than you do. Children understand heaven. They understand it. Just simply tell them that. But again, I would strongly encourage you to t- talk with your children and grandchildren about those kinds, about those kinds of things. Again, again, the stages of grief, shock and denial, a show of emotion, depression, physical symptoms, anxiety and panic, anger, guilt, Resistance to change, hope finally comes through, and then reaffirmation of reality. And there's, I mean, typically the stages of grief are, 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 are really written and, and drawn in a, in a straight line. But we often want grief to, to look like one thing, but grief typically looks something totally different. I mean, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of twists and turns there. I, I've, it's been explained to me that there is a, I mean, typically a, a feeling, it's a wave after wave after wave that will come upon you. And you think that you've made it through some stages of grief, but then the, then something will happen, whether, it is a, whether it's a smell, or whether it's a picture you come across, or a television show that you used to watch together, or whatever it is, and you will be right back to a whole other stage that you felt like you had already dealt with. It's grief. It's grief. And it's a long and winding road. It's a long and winding road. So many of you have told me that it is the most difficult path you have ever walked down. And I know it is. There are a number of different things that impact the length of grieving and mourning. Uh, the, the length of the relationship that we had with the person, the closeness of the relationship, also the type of death also deeply affects. Um, if it was an expected death, someone who had been a sick for quite some time, uh, those typically are a bit easier. Uh, sometimes with those with um, some memory issues or Alzheimer's, uh, typically it's a complicated grieving and mourning process uh, because there's feelings of guilt, because there's a bit of relief sometimes whenever the person dies. Uh, you have typically family members have already said their goodbyes sometimes years ago, uh, when when the person was still uh, had their mental faculties. But then, as as the memory deteriorated, it was as if as, it was as if they weren't even there anymore. And then finally, when death does come, it really it really restarts that process of grieving and mourning. When it is a tragic death, uh, it, it really, really complicates um, the grieving process. When it's a death out of order, I've 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 heard it from so many parents, so many parents I've heard say, You're not you're not supposed you're not supposed to bury a child. You're just not supposed to. And it just hurts so much. And so that can really, really complicate death. A few years ago, I read a book. And the title of the the book was Four Things That Matter Most. Four Things That Matter Most. And the book was written by a hospice chaplain and doctor. uh, A doctor first and then has done some counseling. A longtime, uh, long-time counselor and hospice chaplain and doctor. And Four Things That Matter Most and um, he says these are, the, these are the four things. The first is, I forgive you. We need to be able to say, I forgive you. And, and these are not just things that we need to say to those who are, um, who are nearing the end of their life. He believes that this just simply is a way to live our lives. First, we need to say, I forgive you. I forgive you. Now, you've heard me. I mean, I talk about forgiveness all the time. Remember what forgiveness is. It is not saying it's okay. Forgiveness is also not forgetting. Forgiveness is simply saying this, I'm giving up the right to get even. We have the right to get even by Old Testament law, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We have every right to get even. But when we forgive, we give up that right to get even. There are some things that people have done to us that no matter how hard we try to forget, we cannot forget. There are some things that have happened to us over the years that no amount of counseling could ever help us to forget. But forgiving means giving up the right to get even. And so we need to say that. We need to extend forgiveness, especially, especially to people um, who we know that may not be alive for much longer. Those who are on hospice, those who are in the nursing home, those who are our elders. We need to offer and we need to extend forgiveness. We also need to seek forgiveness. We need to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the things I've done. I'm sorry for the things that I haven't done. I'm sorry I was a rebellious teenager. I'm sorry I didn't live up to your expectations or my expectations. I'm sorry that I've been disrespectful over the years. I'm sorry that I haven't been there as I should have been. And so, seek forgiveness. Also, we need to say, thank you. Thank you for changing my diapers. And and maybe... I mean there may be a time, there may be a time in our lives that we may even have to say that to our children. (laughs) Thank you for changing our diapers. Thank, thank you for taking care of me. When I was a when I was a child, thank you for taking care of me as I have as I have grown older. Thank you for 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 providing for me throughout my life. Thank you for thank you for being such an incredible mom or incredible dad. I had that opportunity just this, just this week, I just sent a, a quick uh, a, a quick text to my mom and, and my dad and thanking them for just the incredible parents that they have been in my life. I, I would strongly encourage you to, to, to give a, a word of thanksgiving to those who have meant so much to, your, uh, to you in your life. And the final thing um, this author says, that we need to say, I love you. We need to say, I love you. And, and, and this author said that oftentimes what will happen is that when the family gathers around, uh, maybe at, at the, the bedside, a hospital bedside, or a bedside at a home of a family member who is who is nearing the end of their life, uh, and and you know we you know as families gather together, uh, you know we need to we need to tell mom we need to tell mom that we love her, and it will almost inevitably be an adult son who will say, "Wow, mom knows we love her." It needs to be said needs to be said. I have a dear friend, uh, Larry Masoner. And Larry uh, was a Methodist preacher. We served together in Woodward, Oklahoma. Larry never believed that he would live to be very old because his dad died at a, at an, at a, at a young age. And so uh, Larry waited to get married. He was um, 40 years old before he got married. And um, I was one of... We had, he, had, he and his wife, Kelly, had a very small Um, uh, wedding. And I happened to, I was one of the few people that they had invited to their family or to their wedding. And um, I noticed, I began to notice over the years that um, I talked to Larry all the time, whether it was texting. I texted him, I mean, multiple times a week. I talked to him on the phone almost. I mean, I would would guess over the years, at least once a month, whether, and, and when we served in the same community together, I saw him two or three times, two or three times a week. Every single time that when he got off the phone or when, when he left me, every single time he would say, I love you. I, I didn't come from a family that, that said that all that much. And Larry, I mean, he was saying it all the time. Larry didn't believe that he was going to, be a, to live to be a very old man. Um, he had planned out his funeral Uh, He knew who was going to preach his funeral, and that was me. He had all the songs planned out. Eighteen months ago, I performed Larry's funeral. And I'll never forget the number of times that Larry said, I love you, man. Tell people that you love them. More than just show it. They need to hear it. They need to hear it. I found that it will... um, well, whenever I, whenever I presided over Larry's funeral 18 months ago, I did so with a smile on my face because I knew that my dear brother Larry, he loved me, and I knew that i had had a chance to tell him that I loved him too. In fact, it was just about three weeks before he died, I saw him in the hospital. He had had colon cancer, and he had had some issues with the colon cancer, and, and um, he had had some bleeding and... I just really was, had gotten to a, a very difficult time. Uh, and so I remember whenever I, uh, here in Oklahoma City, um, I, I held his hand as I prayed for him. And I knew that uh, it very well could be the very last time I saw him alive. And uh, after I prayed for him, he looked me in the eyes and he said, Brother, I love you. And I said, Larry, you know I love you too. It's the kind of people that we're called to be. Because I knew where Larry Mason was going to be. He was going to be at home in heaven. You see, as people of faith, we don't need to fear death. Again, that's really the premise of this entire series. We don't need to fear death. Our culture denies death. Our culture fears death. But we know that with death comes life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever lives, whoever believes in me shall never die. And whoever dies will live with me eternally. And so death is a great gift to those who are believers. And we need to face death, our own death, and the death of our loved ones. We need to face it with joy because they are now completely healed and whole. They are exactly where they were created to be. And so, so now, dear sisters and brothers... We mourn and we grieve as people, not as people who have no hope. No, no, not at all. No doubt, no doubt when a loved one dies, we feel that pain. That's the price of love. That's the price of love. We deeply mourn and we deeply feel that pain, but we grieve and we mourn as people who have hope, hope in Jesus Christ. Would you bow with me? Oh God, we thank you that you are a God of love, you are a God of life, and you are a God of resurrection. Today, as we think about our own grief in our lives, Lord, we've been reminded of our spouses, and our parents, and our grandparents, and our best friends, and our children, and grandchildren who have died. And Lord, we still feel that hurt. and We still feel that pain. But we mourn and we grieve, not as those who have no hope, but instead we have hope in Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, give us such faith and hope that we can face our own death and the death of our loved ones with confidence And yes, even joy. Come, O Lord, and walk with us in this valley of the shadow of death. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you stand? Maybe today there have been some some unresolved feelings. Some all unresolved anger. Maybe even that God... Maybe some things that have been left unsaid that you just simply need to say. You know, you don't have to go to a graveside to tell your deceased loved one something. You can just say it out loud right there in your spirit. You may need to say, thank you. You You may need to say, forgive me. I forgive you. You may need to say, I love you. God's working on your heart today. I would encourage you to bow in prayer. You may need to come forward to the altar and pray as well. Come as God calls you to come.